Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Erica Rooney, who is Chief People Officer at Blue Acorn ICI. Welcome, Erica. Hey, Lindsay. It's so good to be here. Good to have you. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation because I believe you are a leader who has truly brought us into, and when I say us, I mean the way that we work, into where it needs to be in the modern era. But before we get into that, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Absolutely. So Erica Rooney, Chief People Officer by day. So I lead everything in the employee experience team from the moment somebody clicks on our website and applies to the moment that they exit our company. Everything in there, including talent acquisition, performance management, learning and development, you name it, it's under my umbrella. I am a wife. I am a mom of two little kids. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I think that's very important to note because I lead family first. I lead mom first. That's what I am first. That is my top priority. And then I also am very multi-passionate. I'm a fitness fanatic. I have my own podcast from now to next. And I do a coaching and consulting practice for women in all of my other free time as well. (laughs) Amazing. So, you know, you bring up for women, which is the first topic that I want to get into because you really, really champion women in positions of power. So can you explain why that is such a big goal and mission for you? Absolutely. I am what I like to call a gender equality crusader. And I am very passionate about bringing more women into positions of power, but also keeping them there. And I'm very passionate about that because I'm a woman in a position of power. So I'm very familiar with the hardships and the things that we are up against that men are not. You know, we walk through the world very differently than men do. We have to lead differently than men do. We cannot act the same way they do in corporate America. It will not get us to the same places. And we also have not caught, society has not caught up to the fact that women are in these positions of power. So there are so many people out there, especially in my generation and in generations before and slightly after me, that we still have these societal expectations that we are running the household full time. But now we're also working full time and that hasn't caught up yet. Absolutely. So yeah, I want to talk about, you know, why women leave uh, positions of power, because it often, you know, I know someone like yourself, like myself, we're ambitious, we want to see what we can do next. But when we're in environments that don't support our growth, we don't feel welcome anymore. So what are some examples that you can give uh, where women leave the office, you know, because they're not supported? Absolutely. There are so many women, especially in high-level positions right now, that are leaving. We've got the prime minister of, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the country now, but the female prime minister, New Zealand maybe? I will double check. I think that, yeah. (laughs) But the prime minister who left because she was burnt out. She was a mom, she had young kids, and she couldn't do both, right? Then we've got women who are executives at the companies such as Facebook and now Meta that are leaving Mm -hmm. because they cannot keep up with the high demands of being an executive in the workplace. And the truth is we are burning out. We are expected to take care of the homes, do all of the caregiving. We are now entering into that realm 
where we have aging parents and young kids. This is known yeah. as the sandwich generation. So even if you don't have kids, you are still taking care of your ailing parents, perhaps. So mm-hmm. there is caretaking somewhere. And all of that falls to the women. It doesn't fall mm-hmm. to the men. And so we are having to manage our high power jobs and manage everything else in the home and the workplace policies and cultures are not caught up with that yet. So a lot of companies right now are returning to office, whether that is a hybrid policy or a full-time policy, they are mandating that employees come back into the office because they believe it is so important to culture and collaboration. Don't get me wrong. A lot of collaboration can be done in the office and there's a lot of great things around that. And I think there is a place for that. But when you mandate these returns to office, even if it's just a few days a week, it puts such a hardship, especially on women to maintain what they've been able to establish while they have been working remotely. Mm -hmm. I use myself as a perfect example. I, being in HR, that has traditionally been a butt in the seat role because you are Mm -hmm. a customer's the people, right? We're going to work. You got to go too. So I always had to be butt in the seat nine to five. And when I was a new mom, I was still an individual contributor at this point, but I was a new mom. It was still a leadership level role. I was having to get up at four o'clock in the morning, five if I was lucky, so that I could air quote, do all the things I was supposed to do, like work out, pack lunches, keep my house together, get the kids dressed, pack their lunches, get them off to their respective schools, two different ones, a daycare and a school, drive 45 minutes to work, work until 5.01, because God forbid I left at four, I wasn't (laughs) working. Drive 45 minutes home, pick up kids from two different schools, cook dinner, do bedtime, bath, and then clean up everything for the next day, right? That is a recipe for burnout because there is not one minute in that day that is for me. There's Mm -hmm. not one minute to protect my mental health. There's not one minute to unwind. There's barely a minute to plan the next day's responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So COVID hit. We all went remote. I immediately became a better wife, a better mother, Mm -hmm. a better colleague. And that is because I'm in my house, right? I'm a very extroverted person. I love talking to people. I love seeing people and working with people. Mm -hmm. But Right before this call, I unloaded my dishwasher. Yeah. (laughs) That small act, it means I don't have to do it when the day is over. Yeah. Right? So collectively, now that I'm working remote, I don't have two 40-minute blocks on either end. Mm -hmm. I'm not having to get all put together, pack lunches. I am saving hours in my day by not having to go into an Mm -hmm. office. You are getting more out of me as an employee and my kids are getting a better mom because I am here, I am present and I am showing up. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that I really appreciated when we first connected is that you were so upfront that my Zoom background is my life. It is I am a mom. It is family first. And um, for for the people who are only listening, Erica, could you describe your background? <laughs> well, there is a lot of toys. There's some Legos. <laughs> I've got a boy and a girl. So there's a lot of like princess dolls back there. 
And then you will also see my burn doodle lounging in a chair. <laughs> I'm actually a little picked up today. The day, Lindsay, that you and I were talking, it was a mess because my kid was home sick. So there were toys scattered. But I do. I don't blur out my background. I don't put up fake Zoom backgrounds or anything like that because this is who I am. And mm-hmm. if you ask me, if you didn't know me and you met me on the street, who I was, I would lead that I'm a mom first because that is what I always wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to have kids and that, that's a me thing. Um, so for me, that's always going to be my first priority is raising my two little kids and to be wonderful humans. Mm-hmm. But that requires a lot. Anyone who is yeah. a parent, who is a mom knows that is more than a full-time job. There are no days yeah. off. <laughs> It is a wild ride, but I think it's also important to note that like this leading inclusively is not just for people who have kids. And I think that that's very important to, to really hone in on because I have a team filled with women. Half of them Mm -hmm. are moms and the other half of them are child free by choice. They don't Mm -hmm. want kids. They want their dogs. They want schedules and that is their choice. And historically there has always been a lot of favoritism towards people with kids because Mm -hmm. that is what society is expected that you have kids and you put in your time. And if you don't have kids, life is very easy for you. Yeah. You should be able to work later. You should be able to do the weekend stuff. You should be able to take on the extra projects. And that's just not fair because everybody else has responsibilities that as a leader, we are not fully connected with necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I lead very much with this like whole person first mentality, as in you take care of your business. And as long as the work is getting done, you take off when you need to. That might be going to your kid's school play. It might be going to get your hair done. I really don't care. Yeah. What I care about is that you are happy, you are present, you feel supported, and you're getting your work done in that order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know inclusivity is such an important aspect for you. And, you know, when we discussed, um, you know, our, our topics to go through, uh, one thing that stood out is when you said intersectionality, uh, when, how important that is when supporting women. And so when you were talking about remote work, my brain of, of that flashed through my brain about how the majority of black women prefer remote work because, they have a different experience in office than white women. And so it's, I think, you know, understanding that, could you talk a bit about how you consider and are mindful about intersectionality within working and promoting women? Absolutely. So that's the thing is like, we all have different lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And historically, if you look at the stats, the number of stay-at-home moms by choice, have been white women because we've had these rich white men to support us, Mm. right? Black women have always had to work. They haven't had a choice, right? So they have always had to show up. They've always had to put in the hours. They've always had to figure it out. They didn't have, you know, this privilege of having a rich white man support them necessarily, right? And I'm talking very much in generalities, okay? And I feel like I need to say that because someone's going to say, not me, that's not this experience, and I get it right? But we have to remember that when we allow for this flexibility, we are allowing women to show up where they need to show up and when they need to show up and how they need to show up. And it isn't fair and it's not right 
to tell people that the way I show up should be the way you show up. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you setting this, you know, all in place as you lead? Um, You know, let's talk about becoming a leader that sets an example. How do you set an example? Um, What are the important things for you? To, yeah. to I mean, remember. number one is Zoom background, right? Like I told you, <laughs> not just for my teams. This is when I am hosting my company-wide meetings with 300 mm-hmm. people. This is my background. Yeah. Um, every single person in the company, if they don't know, they do when they ask me for a 4 p.m. meeting. I can have it, but you're likely going to see a kid in the background. <laughs> yeah. You need to have a real serious meeting. It's going to be best to be had between 8.30 in the morning and 3 p.m. because that's mm-hmm. when both kids are in school. And anything outside of that, like my kids are in my home. This is my home. They're going to be in. Yeah. They're going to be out. They might pop in and ask me a homework question. And if I'm on a meeting that is a, not an active participant where I'm listening and observing, you may see me helping with homework. And that's okay because it allows us to get it all done. But I very much show that. Because I do have the privilege of being in a position of power, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's not in a C-level leadership role like myself probably does not feel comfortable doing that. They don't feel like it's okay unless they see someone like me doing it. Yeah. So I'm very open about that. I'm very open about the fact that at 2.40, I leave to go pick up my kids sometimes. I carpool mm-hmm. with another mom in the neighborhood. We both trade off. But I block that time every day because I never know which day is mine. (laughs) (laughs) People know that that's what I do. I work through lunch. I'm on early. Sometimes I'm on late. And this is something that we talked a little bit about. Employees need to be fixed price employees. We need to pay the salary for the job that we hire them to do. If they do that job in 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week or 50 hours a week, whatever it is, they get the same price. Okay, like that's what we're paying them for. So if I finish my workday and all my priorities by two o'clock, why do I need to be here? Why do my employees need to be here? Okay, mm-hmm. do they need to be available for emergencies? Absolutely. But could they maybe finish up like while they're mowing the lawn? Yeah, <laughs> they can stop mowing the lawn and come in and take an emergency call. But we are very open with our communication and we let everybody know, hey, I'm running out to a doctor's appointment. Hey, I don't have anything left, so I'm going to log off for the day. If you need me, text me. Mm-hmm. And we are very communicative about that because, number one, we should all be a fixed price employee. I'm paying them for their job, not for how many hours they are sitting in front of a computer. And number two, it is so important for their mental health because that person, when they log off at two o'clock one day, because they didn't have any more work, like they are coming back so much more engaged and refreshed for the next day, which might take them a 10 hour day. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I admire about you is that you don't really create a permission culture. And, you know, as someone who has to take doctor's appointments and for my own health and has worked in an office environment, that is very anxiety inducing to put, put your health issues in someone else's hands to decide, can you take care of this or not? And so you don't have that in, in your environment, which I'm sure really, really 
help someone's mental health if they, you know, like it's, it's a very vulnerable thing to ask permission about your health or your personal life. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. You shouldn't have to give me a reason. You are an adult. You manage your own life. And it's so timely. I actually had a team member text me late last night that said, Hey, do you mind if I take PTO tomorrow? And I said, yeah, whatever. You don't need to ask me, of course. Just let me know. And then she was like, oh, yeah, my friend is coming into town. And she started to go into this reason. I said, you don't have to explain your PTO to me. And I want to be very clear about that because there are so many employees and people out there that feel like they have to lie about what they are doing for whatever reason, right? And I used to be that person. Like Mm -hmm. I used to be the person that would lie about when I was leaving work early or having to go out for a school like function because I felt like I needed to have a reason. And then I felt like they were looking at me like, oh, she always uses her kids for a reason. So then I started to have to go to the dentist a lot, you know, and I just <laughs> had to keep telling these lies, which I'm an honest person that didn't sit yeah. well with me. And you just, you feel icky. And so I know exactly how that feels and what that feels like. And I don't want anyone on my team to feel that way. And I don't want them to get into this, habit of feeling like they have to tell me why they are leaving because Mm -hmm. what if something comes up and they don't want to tell me yeah and then they feel like they have to tell me because they've always told me so if they tell me I always follow up with the you don't need to tell me you manage your PTO that's it yeah that is, and this is, you know, I and why I admire you so much as a leader because you put trust into the people that you work with. And what's always baffled me as, you know, uh, an employee, now self employed person, um, is that why don't you trust the people that you chose <laughs> in the workplace? If you can't trust them, why are you hiring them? Mm-hmm. And also, this is very important to note that trust is not something to be earned. Trust is something that when you hire them, you automatically give it to them. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you shouldn't be hiring that person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit more about trust, because I know that you also create an environment where it's okay to mess up and you would rather have people come to you um, than try to hide it. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm a fallible person. I am very imperfect. <laughs> and I know this about myself, right? I know this about all people. And Everybody just goes into these jobs thinking that they have to get it right all the time. And that's impossible. Mm -hmm. So on my team, we very much have this like fail out loud type mentality, which Mm -hmm. is just if you mess up, say it, let's fix it and move on. I do not and I absolutely will not tolerate any type of finger pointing of Mm -hmm. like, oh, Lindsay did this. Nope. Just tell me what's wrong and what we have to do to fix it. And what do we need to do so it doesn't happen again? I don't Mm -hmm. want people pointing fingers and blaming because that creates its own level of toxicity, but very much what was the mess up and how can we fix it? And it's so great because I have this one woman on my team and we always joke, she calls me every day. It's not Mm -hmm. that often, but she will call me and she'll be like, oh, I messed up. And I'm like, well, how big of a mess up is it? Half the time, (laughs) more than half the time, it's not bad. It's like the tiniest (laughs) thing. 
or it's her second guessing herself. And I'm like, no, no, you did that right. But there have been a few times where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we need to like fix that. Everyone needs to stop what they're doing. We all need to go heads down, button this up and take care of it. Here's what we're going to do. And what is so great about that type of culture is number one, there is absolutely no anxiety on my team when it comes to messing up, right? Because we know it's okay. And how many times, Lindsay, have you sat there and you've recognized that you've made a mistake and you have this big, oh shit, like I've got to, I've got to talk about that. Do, and you ruminate on it and it's just, it's the worst. Nobody wants to sit through that. And as soon as you speak it out, then we come up with a game plan and we figure out how to make it work. And we mm-hmm. do that every single time because when you speak those truths, you take the power back. Mm. And again, nobody is perfect. Yeah. So we can't get mad at people when they mess up. And we especially can't get mad at people when we mess up if we don't have the right systems and processes in place, which is typically why people mess up. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. We've all been there where, you know, whether it's too many cooks or not enough information. And yeah, so it's, it's so important to recognize we are all human. We're all trying our best because no one wants to do a bad job at their job. Like we don't go out to do that. Absolutely. And we also have this rule on our team to always believe the best. And Mm -hmm. that is to the best in the person because there have been so many studies out there that shows that when someone else messes up, we, the person who's observing it, put it on them as in Mm -hmm. they're stupid, they don't know what they're doing, they're the wrong person for the job. But when we mess up, it is, I don't have the right systems, the support isn't there, and we put it back on the other person. So it's this whole scientific thing that we don't do good at accepting Blame, responsibility, fault, whatever you want to call it. But if you create this environment where it's okay to raise your hand and be like, wow, I really effed up on that, then you can do it. And it's hard for people to learn that because they come from these past experiences where they have been berated for making mistakes. They've been publicly embarrassed for making mistakes. They've gotten fired for making mistakes. Right. So I actually have another woman on my team who we have really had to work at owning mistakes and mm. looking at mistakes not as a bad thing, but as stepping stones to learning. And this is a woman, she came from a completely different industry. She was a teacher. So mm. let's lay that groundwork. She's never done HR work before. Okay. <laughs> let's have that expectation. And she made some mistakes, right? New system, all of these different things. And she would initially try to fix things behind the scenes, mm. right? which I get, we all want to correct our mistakes, but the problem is she didn't know enough to fix it all the way, you know? Oh, so instead okay. of saying, hey, I messed up, you know, she fixed it to a point, but it still left things broken down the line. Mm. And again, not her fault because she didn't know. So we really had to work at uncovering those things to say, hey, your responsibility is not to know all the things. Yeah. Your responsibility <laughs> is to say, I made a mistake so that, me, as the chief people officer, it's my responsibility to know all the things. Mm-hmm. So you come to me, I'll fix the downstream. And it took a lot of that type of repetition in me saying that 
before one day she finally said, Hey, I did this thing. It wasn't right. I'm not sure what to do. So we corrected it, fixed it. And then I came back later to her and I said, remember that thing last week where you messed up? I said, I just want to take a minute and tell you how proud I am because that was a real learning moment for you. And to me, that is where you have shown the biggest growth is being confident in owning your mistakes. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even think about it at first, but she hadn't even seen that shift. But I thought that it was so important to bring her attention to that because guess what? She owned her mistake and she didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about, I work with um, high school students and college students often and, it's important for me to when, you know, it's scary, it's scary to have account, hold yourself accountable. So when that accountability comes out, I always make sure to say I appreciate it because it's just going to encourage them to, you know, go come into an environment that like you set up and take accountability and work well as a team and work well as others. And, you know, it's so important you know, as especially as we get into, you know, more politics and how um, we should, you know, especially me as a white woman, um, understand how other people are living lives, take accountability, you know, now more than ever, I think it's more, it's important for us Absolutely. to all recognize. And the I would love to like, take one minute to go back because we were talking a lot about women in the beginning. Yeah. And now we're talking a lot about mistakes. Mm-hmm. And bring that full circle is that When women start new jobs, new careers, we give ourselves this unrealistic expectation of being perfect. Yeah. Case in point, we don't apply for the jobs unless we meet 100% of the criteria. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Men apply for the jobs like at 64% or something wild like that. You know, they're just like, yeah, I'm going to throw my name in the hat. So we go into these positions with this unrealistic expectation that we put on ourselves to be perfect. And then we beat ourselves up over it. And then we don't like to own the mistakes. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. men just come charging in with this, like I'm a badass mentality. I'm going to rock it out. We need to harness more of that. And my friend Ashley Quinto Powell coined it the mediocre white man. And I'm like, we need to harness more of that type of confidence because when you harness that type of confidence and just go in, you will be so just overwhelmed in a great way of how much more you can get done, mm. right? And how much further you can go. So harness yeah. that mediocre white man and like charge full steam ahead. Yeah. So another thing, you know, what I wanted to wrap up on is, you know, we talked a lot about how much further we have to go and the problems that women face. Um, but I think in order to move forward, we need to understand so deeply about what set us back recently. And that's COVID. Um, You know, women were making a lot of progress and then COVID happened. And with a lot of salaries not paying enough for, you know, both people, there's, there's a lot of gender, there's a lot of complications, there's a lot of socioeconomic turmoil with COVID that affected women. So here's the deal. We were already very far behind Mm -hmm. pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, there was a 90-year pay equity gap. And what I mean by that is that it would take a full 90 years 
if we were progressing at the rate we were currently progressing to hit pay equity, to be paid the same as a man. And this does not go deeper into what black women are paid, what indigenous women are paid, because they are paid even less and less and less than white women. 90 years. COVID hit. We all thought it was going to be two weeks. It was not two weeks. <laughs> People yeah. had to quickly assess their situations and pivot their lives. Do I need to stay home and work with kids? Am I now caretaking for my elderly family that I can't leave in a care facility? Right? People lost jobs. Most of the people that had to exit the workforce were women. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, it then effectively switched up the pay gap to then increase to 132 years. So mm-hmm. if we now continue at the rate that we are going today, it will be 132 years before we are paid the same as a man. That's mm-hmm. not my lifetime. That's not my kid's mm-hmm. life. That is to me, bananas, absolutely bananas, because we have come so far, right? Like we are not Joan cleavering it up with the white picket fence, the apron and the swoosh bob or whatever it is. Like we are in the trenches. We are doing the work. We are showing up, but we are not getting paid enough. And a lot of that is of what I like to call sticky floors that women have. And those are the things that we have that hold us back about our own selves Mm -hmm. busting through the glass ceiling. So for example, women don't negotiate. Okay. Only 26% of women actually negotiate their job offers if they negotiate at all. And when they negotiate, they ask for less than men. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about when a man and a woman, if they both have equal education, equal skills, and they both get offered a job for a hundred thousand dollars and the man negotiates just 5,000 more dollars. That's it. Over time, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars lost, right? Collectively, like just the dollar amount is around like $500,000, which that's a lot of money. Yeah. This being a 35 years till retirement, right? But what we don't know is what that person does with that money. They invest it in real estate. They enhance their 401k. They have a better cost of living. They're not living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Like- We set ourselves back because we don't do things like negotiate and stuff like that. Companies set us back because they don't have equal pay policies, right? Now, there is not a company out there that will tell you that they don't. But if you are not a leader in a company that when a woman calls you and says, I want to make $100,000 to be on X team, and you know that that team's lowest paid member makes $150,000, 100k you are not an inclusive company right it is your responsibility as an organization to bring women into those positions and to close the pay gap and mm-hmm. this what really just like fires me up is so many of these leaders in companies right i don't hate men and i don't dislike the mediocre white man at all i want to be very clear about that mm-hmm. but they all have wives, sisters, mothers, and daughters. There's mm-hmm. not one of them out there that doesn't have a female somewhere in their life. Right. Okay? Imagine if you knew that it was your female being offered $50,000 plus because they didn't know to ask for more. Mm-hmm. You'd be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> so and the fact that, that we have to frame it that way to say, think of someone you love instead of think of women as, as 
equal yeah. human beings is is very frustrating for for us too. It's very frustrating. And I'm that kind of person I'm like, I will do whatever I gotta do to get us there to cross yeah. that finish line. Yeah. But it takes that can you imagine? Yeah. You know, that being your wife, your daughter, your mother saying, yeah, just because you didn't ask, we're not going to give it to you, even though you're technically worth more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the reason why, you know, I bring this up as as a wrap up topic is because I think the examples of what you're putting into place with the flexibility, I mean, flexibility itself is so life changing. You know, you think about how COVID set us back. You're allowing the people on your team, whether they have children or not, to have freedom to live their life, balance their lives, and not have to choose between one parent or the other or one job or the other. And so I think, you know, what you're doing now is such a good example of how we can move forward and, you know, close that pay gap. So it's not a hundred, what, 130? Oof, yeah. And, you know, create more opportunities by including flexibility, including open conversations about pay. Um, so I think this was an incredibly powerful episode, incredibly, um, you know, important for, for so many people to hear, you know, whether, um, you know, especially if they are part of the crusade to to help women get in more powerful positions because, you know, you have, you're living it. You're giving those examples. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And if anyone has any questions about what they could be doing better, just hit me up because I will tell you. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, what's the best way for people to get in touch if they have those questions or learn more about you? Yeah. So I am super active on LinkedIn. That is my favorite social media platform. If you let me know that you heard me on this podcast. I absolutely will connect. I connect with everybody out there anyways. And then if you like this content that you heard, which I'm sure you do, I have a podcast where I talk a lot about bringing women into positions of power. It's called From Now to Next. It's wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, But those are the top two. Amazing. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to add or think that I missed in our conversation? I think the biggest thing to add is that while 132 years seems really depressing, and it is, we still have a lot of power in our own hands. And if we educate ourselves and we know the questions to ask and we find advocates to help mentor us, you reach out to people like me who are doing the work, Mm -hmm. you can close those gaps one year at a time, one person at a time. So Mm -hmm. we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go but all hope is not lost. That is so beautiful to end on. Well, if you or anyone else is like Erica and passionate about creating more positions and flexibility and opportunities for women, email me at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment.
Thanks again for listening. 